so much. And it's still early. They may show up. So. <laughs> but anyway, you guys are here. <clears throat> Try to start them off with a laugh, you know. It doesn't always work. Sometimes instead of a laugh, I get a groan. So, how do you like this title? That's a little loud, isn't it? Or is it? This is feedback. Oh. So, yeah. And can I get that uh, little lectern thing over there? Gratitude controls your attitude. So, we hear so much talk about free will. So, basically, free will, without, that's a whole other class. What do you have freedom of? What do you have control of? Choices. Huh? Choices. Choices. And then from your choices, you perform actions. From those actions come reactions. So those reactions may cause you to react to your reactions. So you get a choice on how you deal <clears throat> with your reactions, which are basically the result of your actions, right? So we can't always control, well, we practically can never control what's happening to us at any moment because we've already sent it around before, you know, sometime back, maybe in the last lifetime. We performed some activity and now we're getting the reaction. <clears throat> so we can control, we can't control the weather, we can't control the economy, we can't control so many, but we can control how we react to what's going on around us. We can control our attitude. My attitude is, how do I react if someone treats me not so nice, if they treat me uh, disrespectfully, it doesn't mean that I have to react to them in a negative way, does it? No. I have a choice, you see. So I can control, if I work at it, I can control my attitude. My attitude towards you. My attitude towards you. You see what I mean? So, I may see, and it's difficult not to, but I may see imperfections in my fellow man and the woman. I may see imperfections. Just because I see them and identi identify that they are, in fact, imperfections, things that need to be improved on, uh, just because I notice these things doesn't make me judgmental. That's one of our favorite words of the last few years, judgmental. You know, I think that means different things to different people. <clears throat> but we're always judgmental. 
aren't we? Is it bad? Is that air conditioner too cold for you? Huh? Well, you're being judgmental. You just made a decision. You made a judgment call there. If I say, ooh, that's, that's a little chilly, I'm being judgmental of the climate in the room. Darn, it's so hot. I'm being judgmental of uh, the heat. If there's not enough salt in the preparation you give me, I'm being judgmental of your cooking. You see what I mean? That's not bad. I have a right to make uh, a judgment. So we make it bad when uh, I feel like I have something to hide or I don't want you to talk. I don't want you to notice that I have an imperfection. I don't want you to notice that I have it. And if you notice it, then you're being judgmental, right? So in other words, my attitude is not very conducive to being a friend right now, is it? So friendship is the greatest underrated, uh, I was gonna say commodity, but it's not really a commodity, is it? Friendship is so underrated. Why? Because in the conditioned state, the living entity has no idea how to be a friend or how to exchange on a, fr on a friendship basis. Why can I be your friend? Because I'm not grateful to have your association. If I'm grateful to have you, then all these little imperfections that we know you have, I may not even notice them. I mean, I may, you know, but it's like Prabhupada says, if, if you get, uh, this isn't a good example, but a tool of this. White dhoti. You have a white dhoti, and it has a little black spot on it, about the size of a BB. See? You're getting awfully picky if you start to criticize. Well, look at that guy's got that little black spot on his dhoti. You see? You maybe don't even notice it because it's small. And to notice uh, certain imperfections, small imperfections in people and dwell on them means I am small. My consciousness is small. Or perhaps I'm having a small moment. Doesn't mean that I'm always a jerk. Sometimes we have small moments for, for whatever. Now, what does that mean? I lost control of my attitude. I lost control of my attitude and the way I deal with you. You know, have you ever talked to someone and that uh, maybe you made a mistake and they start to really chew you out? You know, and try to make you feel inadequate because you made some mistake, you see? Well, they lost their attitude. They're, they're out of control. Something else has taken over. They've, they've lost control of their attitude. <clears throat> Which means, you can see, I hope you can see how these two go together. I've lost my gratitude for you. If, if I can lose control of my attitude in dealing with you, I have to push aside my gratitude. I can't be really grateful and lose my attitude towards you. 
You see, it doesn't work. Either I love you or I don't, you see. There aren't any gray areas in love. What's the opposite of love? Does anybody know? You remember? No. Huh? No. Indifference. Indifference is the opposite of hate. I mean, of love. When you do something that makes me hate, there's still some emotion there. You see what I mean? With love, is an emotion. Indifference is like, I didn't even notice you. I didn't even care if you exist. And I'm not saying that to, to make you mad. I just don't even care. I mean, I'm not even counting you amongst the living entities. I'm just indifferent. Like, eh, you see. So, does this make any sense? In other words, I'm not grateful for it, for your association. So, uh, <clears throat> let's define it. What does Webster say? <clears throat> Excuse me. Grateful, which leads one to gratitude, uh, is an adjective. Number one, appreciative of benefits received. I'm grateful. Some benefit I received. Now, if it's some uh, money that you're paying me, that's one thing. If I'm grateful, the ben if the benefit that I receive is just having your association, well, that's really nice, isn't it? That's kind of loving. I have a deep appreciation. I'm just glad to have your association. Of course you have faults. Of course, there's going to be some things that if I were in control of you, I would change right now. But I am not in control of you, nor do I strive to be. You see? Why? You have free will. If Krishna gives you free will, do I have the right to try to remove it? You know, who do I think I am? Krishna says, you have free will. Make your own choices. And then I say, well, I, I, want, I want to control you. Well, maybe I want to be Krishna. Oh, excuse me. Sorry, Mike. Or maybe I don't want to be Krishna 100%, but I'm having I want to be Krishna moment. You know, maybe I'm not a jerk all the time. I'm just having a jerk moment. That happens to us. We lose control of our attitude. Yes, we, we became ungrateful. Uh, another definition is expressing gratitude, grateful thanks, uh, affording pleasure, something that is affording pleasure or contentment, something that is pleasing, that makes me grateful. Uh, pleasing by reason of comfort supplied or discomfort alleviated. I may be grateful because you made me feel good um, or you made me feel less bad. You relieved. Sometimes uh, you may counsel someone and they're feeling very badly. You know, their heart is heavy. And so you may not make them blissful, but you take away some of their pain through your counseling with them. So some of that discomfort was removed. 
So even if, if I don't make you feel blissful, you may be grateful that I helped you at least feel not as badly as you were. Does that make any sense? So Bhagavad Gita, uh, 17th chapter, 16th verse, Krishna says, and satisfaction, simplicity, gravity, self-control, and purification of one's existence are the austerities of the mind. Krishna says that satisfaction, which is a form of gratitude, uh, your association satisfies me, so that gives me some gratitude, right? So, Krishna says satisfaction, simplicity, gravity, and self-control are purifications of one existence and are the austerities of the mind. What is Krishna getting at here? Satisfaction is something we all strive for, isn't it? Isn't it? We all want to be satisfied, don't we? Am I missing something? How is that an austerity of the mind? Is Krishna playing a word game here? Or is this a trick? You know how he is. <laughs> yeah. I'll say Krishna says to tolerate happiness and distress. Because either way, we get absorbed into uh, a materialistic state. Whether we're enjoying through the mind or suffering through the mind. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> you have to excuse me, I have to spray my throat. I drank some, uh, some uh, what do they call it? Apple cider vinegar, which is good for diabetes. But if I drink it too close to the time that I, and I water it down, but if I drink it too close to the time I'm going to speak, it <clears throat> gives me a raspy throat. Is this better? Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. What is he talking about? Satisfaction is an, an austerity of the mind. Does anybody want to offer an explanation on what our beloved Krishna is saying here? Yes, Elijah. Uh, satisfaction is an exclude. Renunciation that means like the contentment, the product of what you are striving for. Yeah, but what, why is Krishna saying it's an austerity of the mind? Or not, don't I want to be satisfied? Satisfied. Yes. I was just thinking also about how how fun it can be to complain. <laughs> yes. And how easy it is to complain. Yeah. Bullseye. In other words, I'm trying to get my satisfaction from complaining. Because if I can involve you in a, a pity party, you know, the, a pity party is a party that you're never invited to. You just find yourself in it, right? If you got an invitation, you would probably say, no, no, I've got to take my dog to the vet that day. You know, I didn't know you had a dog. I'm getting one. I'm going to be sick next week. I just feel it coming on. Yeah. 
don't want to be satisfied. You see, it's like a Rolling Stone saying, you can't get no satisfaction. You know, we're not striving for satisfaction. We're striving to find fault. We get caught up in that. I want to be your, I want to be your friend. Everybody wants to feel some reciprocal love. That is your nature as a living entity. So therefore, I'd like to have that with you. Although, I'm just going to complain to you about my situation, and I'm going to criticize you, and I'm wondering, where is the reciprocal love here? This is the state of the world. You see, I want this. I want loving reciprocation, but this is the way I deal with the people that I encounter. You see? Uh, therefore, it is an austerity of the mind. As a matter of fact, satisfaction is the greatest austerity for the living entity embodied and trapped in this material world to achieve. It's the greatest of all austerities because for me to be satisfied, I have to transcend this material consciousness. There's no satisfaction in this material world. Satisfaction is something that comes in the spiritual world, you see. Uh, basically, I may want satisfaction, <clears throat> but I shoot myself in the foot. I, uh, what's that word? Um, Sabotage. I sabotage. Thank you. I sabotage myself and my efforts. You see, I'm, always, I'm finding fault. I want to be satisfied, but I'm finding fault with you. And, and, and I make those faults, I kind of magnify them. Because if, we all know that if I magnify your faults, even they're a little, you know, if I make them bigger, that's making my faults. In my mind, anyway. In other words, maybe if I get your, your faults so magnified, then I can hide in the shadow. I can hide my faults in the shadow of your faults. So, you see what I mean? So, if I point the finger at someone else, then I'll, I'll distract them away from my multitude of faults. So this is the nature of the uh, conditioned materialist. Or maybe a spiritualist, it just has one of those moments. We can have those moments, you see. Now, it's expected as we chant Hare Krishna and we go through our devotional life, that these moments get smaller and smaller and fewer and fewer. You know, when I have a throwback to some uh, material insecurity or... <clears throat> or I lose track of my gratitude. Uh, satisfaction, simplicity. Uh, I think it was Leonardo da Vinci that said, simplicity is the utmost of sophistication. Not the one who decorates and tries to make my persona or my life so uh, extravagant, you know, the one who's most simple, simplistic in, in dealings. You see? 
someone who speaks to you in a simple uh, manner. Krishna's going to, Prabhupada's going to talk about that in the, in the purport here. Uh, simplicity. Just me and you, without all the window dressings. Gravity. What does that mean? Being grave? Does that mean always being like this? No, that's not what uh, Krishna is saying. He's not using this word gravity in that fashion. It meaning it means uh, staying fixed on your mission. What is your only mission as a devotee? To go back home, back to Godhead. So in other words, now over here may be some distraction and over here may be some distraction, but I'm staying fixed on my target. I want to become pure devotee. I want to please Guru and Krishna. Distraction, distraction, eh. No. You see what I mean? That's gravity. Uh, lack of gravity is when I'm focused and I'm heading in the right direction to achieve my desired success, which is Krishna Prema, Krishna Prema, pure love of Godhead. You see, lack of gravity is when I'm heading towards that and I get sucked away to do some other mission or I get distracted to focus on something else. You see what I mean? And I could lose. It's like when you're driving down the road, you know, you're driving down the freeway, maybe doing a little bit over the speed limit. <laughs> and you let somebody, you're going along, and it's kind of hard in some parts of the country because uh, America's a beautiful place, you know. Arizona's incredible. It's like you're driving through, uh, this is a challenge I face occasionally, driving through Texas Canyon. You know where Texas Canyon is? No? You do? No. Pretty cool place, isn't it? It's along I-10. It's the one with all those big boulders that are like stacked and balanced. It looks like they're going to fall over any minute. So you're going through there at 80 miles an hour, and it's kind of hard not to go. <laughs> 80 miles <Whoa>! an hour. <laughs> oh, but who would go 80 miles an hour through there? Nobody. <laughs> Up and down hills and crap. No. <laughs> yeah, you're going through Texas Canyon and you're looking like this and the road's curving. And the trucks <laughs> slow down to like 50 because you're going up and down. And you see what I mean? I can, I can lose track of my goal, which right then is staying on the road. <laughs> because I got distracted, you know? I know. <laughs> and when they're pulling me out of the rack, you know, I could say, well, they're really cool-looking rock formations, dude. <laughs> Anybody would get distracted. You see? No. I don't. We... They've got some of those up on Mount Lemon, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's an amazing, amazing place. So, uh, we can get distracted from our goal. And we can be, uh, our attention can be drawn. So gravity means I stay focused. But gee whiz, I'd like to talk to you about something. 
I'm focused, sorry. All right, I'm gonna pretend to hear you. <laughs> Go ahead, tell me about this political thing or tell me about that. But because I'm trying to be grave, I'm staying fixed on my mission. It's like someone that wants to tell you some all their problems and you need to stay on the road while you're driving with them. You know, okay, I'll listen, but I, I, I'm staying fixed. Okay, does that make any sense? Self-control. You need to learn to control yourself. That means control your attitude. You need to control the way you react to situations and uh, people that you encounter. You need, inside, somebody may do something that you want to say, you idiot, why did you do that? How stupid could you possibly be? But you don't let it come out of your mouth. Oh, that's okay. Anybody can make that mistake. You idiot. You know, you know you see, I mean, you might, if you have to, you might think that. What a dumb mistake. Why didn't, aren't you even paying attention? Didn't you even see me standing here? It, or just maybe not let your mind go there. But if you have to, maybe let it happen. But then what do you say to the person? No problem. I am, I am uh, going to remain. I choose to remain dira. What does that mean? Sanskrit word. What does it mean? Undisturbed. Undisturbed. Got any gold stars? We need, we need a, a box of gold stars. It doesn't stars. mean indifference. No, it doesn't. <laughs> it means undisturbed. Dira tatra so, satisfaction, simplicity, gravity, self-control, and, Krishna says, purification of one's existence. He says that's one of these austerities of the mind. Of the mind. Simplicity is an austerity of the mind. Gravity is an austerity of the mind. Why? Because I don't, you know, I want to, my mind wants to go uh, wandering here and there. Self-control. I don't want to be self-controlled. You upset me. You bumped into me. I want to give you a piece of my mind. It's an austerity for me to be self-controlled sometimes. In the beginning, after a while, it becomes a reflex. It becomes a reflex. And you think, oh, that's okay. You ran over my foot with your shopping cart which is full of three kids and six weeks of groceries. And it hurt, but that's okay. If I had all that distraction, I would probably have run over your foot. It's okay. I am choosing to remain dira, undisturbed. So, and purification of one's existence is an austerity of the mind? Why is that an austerity? I think what Krishna is saying is that it seems to be an austerity for me to purify my existence. So what makes it uh, like that? It is, uh, I'm trying to think of the word right now, uh, <clears throat> inertia. 
Inertia is the tendency of uh, an object that's at rest to remain at rest. Or an object that's in motion to remain in motion. You see, so um, to purify my existence means I've got to start using things like, oh, I don't know, maybe self-control. <laughs> I've got to change the way I react to situations and people. I don't want to do that. Therefore, this you're asking me to do something that's uncomfortable. That's an austerity. Doing something that's not that you don't want to do. Um, to purify my existence. I kind of like my existence the way it is. Thank you very much. Who are you to ask me to purify my? Who do you think you are? What's so pure about your existence? Isn't that kind of the the reaction, the typical reaction? Well, how dare you tell me to purify my existence? You see? Well, I have to admit that maybe I was wrong for me to admit to you that, yeah, maybe I should work on purifying my existence. And I have to admit to you that my uh, existence could use a tidying up. And, you know, maybe uh, you know, a, a tune-up, <laughs> a facelift. Whatever. You see what I mean? So, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that with anybody. That's because I'm not humble. I'm not, if I'm not humble, I'm not going to listen to you when you tell me. You know? It's not very... It's not very purified of you to behave that way. You see? So... Uh, I was going to do the question thing, but I don't know if we're going to have time for that because I've been running off. But, you know, I had a couple of questions I thought of, but we can, we'll skip it for now. All right. So Prabhupada says in the purport that to make the mind austere is to detach it from sense gratification. This is one of the greatest austerities, detach it from sense gratification. Does that mean I don't ever taste anything that tastes real good? No. Does it mean I never see anything that's beautiful? No. Smell anything that smells good? No. Um, let's look at this word gratification. Gratification is a reward or a re uh, recompense uh, a monetary gratification for a job well done, especially a gratuity. The act of gratifying, the state of being gratified, the gratification of physical appetites, uh, a source of satisfaction or pleasure. Aha! There's a really good definition of that gratification. So if I use my senses as a source of satisfaction or pleasure, for my gratification and my pleasure, now I'm acting independently. I've taken my eye off my uh, goal, my target of achieving Krishna Prem. Because I should use these activities as a source of satisfaction or pleasure for Krishna. Therein is the trick. Does it mean it's just a good example? As if I want, if I, 
If I offer some uh, really nice preparation, let's say you get uh, some fabulous mangoes. And so I want to offer it to Krishna. I want Krishna to have this mango. So I want it for his satisfaction and, and his pleasure. Does that mean that I'm not going to eat it? I'm going to get to taste it. You know, hold on. <laughs> it's not like you buy the mango and you give it to Krishna and you never get to taste it. More than likely, he's going to leave you a little bit of it. He always eats a little bit, but you, he may leave you so much that you don't even notice. He eats by just glancing at it, really. All of Krishna's senses are interchangeable. Pretty cool dude, isn't he? So, uh, that's what Prabhupada means. To make the mind austere is to de detach it from sense gratification for me. I want to gratify Krishna's senses. Some people will argue with you that God doesn't have senses. So how can I have something he doesn't have? Where do senses come from anyway? Although he has transcendental senses, he has supreme senses, and he has unlimited senses. I have material senses and my senses are limited. You see? So then Prabhupada goes on to say it, the mind, should be so trained that it can be always thinking of doing good for others. What the heck about me? A lot of people think like that. But if I'm always doing good for others, what about me? Who's going to do good for me? You see, that's material thinking. If I'm grateful to my uh, beloved Krishna for giving me everything, um, then I'm, I'm grateful, right? So why do I think that if I do good for others, that good won't come to me? And, and if it pleases Krishna, why do I care if good comes to me or not? Why should I care? Because I want to, the gratification, you see, for me. Uh, let's do good for others for their benefit. Your true gratification will be when you see their pleasure. And we've all had this experience, surely. Have you ever had anybody come to you? Deep, you know, with a hard, heavy heart. And you do good and you help them feel better. And they look at you and they say, thank you, I feel so much better. Doesn't that taste pretty sweet? So didn't you get some, you get more gratification than they do from this. They only feel a little bit better or maybe a lot better. You, you feel a whole lot better than they feel, you see. So you're really getting a tremendous return on investment when you do good for others. Um, Prabhupada says, the best training for the mind is gravity in thought. Wow. One should not deviate from Krishna consciousness and must always avoid sense gratification. To, to purify one's nature is to become Krishna conscious. Stay focused on Krishna and your relationship with Krishna. Loving servant. Focused on Guru and Krishna. 
Prabhupada goes on, satisfaction of the mind can be obtained only by taking the mind away from thoughts of sense gratification. Boy, Prabhupada is really pushing this sense gratification thing, isn't he? Because I want to enjoy separately from God. That's one of the big reasons why I'm here. I want to enjoy what I want, when I want it, separately. I want the mango for me. Why do I have to offer it to Krishna? I want it. I bought it. <laughs> so, uh, taking the mind away from thoughts of sense gratification, uh, sense enjoyment, it doesn't mean that my senses will never be gratified. I mean, if you hang around the devotees, you see that their senses are gratified constantly. We're always seeing beautiful things, we smell beautiful aromas, we taste beautiful things, you know? Loving embraces between the devotees, you see? So, um, the more we think of sense enjoyment, the more the mind becomes dissatisfied. Wow. The more you think of sense enjoyment, the more dissatisfied you will be because your senses cannot be satisfied. Material senses, maybe for a minute, but then once you gratify one sense, then you want another one says, hey, what about me? Hmm. In the present age, we unnecessarily engage the mind in so many different ways for sense gratification. And so there is no possibility of the minds becoming satisfied can't become satisfied because I'm trying too hard to become satisfied materially. Just like the, the analogy we used of helping, doing good for someone, that's very satisfying. Isn't it? it? It's like so satisfying you think after you help somebody and you see that you've made a, an improvement in their mood, right after that you don't think, oh man, I'm glad that's over. Oh no, you're so pumped, you think, okay, who's next? Anybody else need some help? Wow, that was a taste. That was a real taste. I'd like to do that again, you know? Can I help somebody else? So, uh, satisfaction definition. Number one, fulfillment of a need or a want. Number two, the quality of or state of being satisfied or contentment. Number three, a source or means of enjoyment, gratification. And also compensation for a loss of energy, or, or excuse me, injury. You know, if you're in, uh, so uh, you can receive satisfaction if you're indemnified by your insurance policy. That's another definition. Prabhupada goes on, the best co course is to divert the mind to the Vedic literatures, which in full, <clears throat> excuse me, which is full of satisfying stories, <clears throat> as in the Puranas and the Mahabharata. One can take advantage of this knowledge and thus become purified. Purify my knowledge, purify my existence by uh, putting purifying things purifying knowledge. Bhagavad Gita, Srimad Bhagavatam, Mahabharata, you see. 
if I keep putting that in my mind, if I keep putting uh, purification, purified knowledge into my mind, purified knowledge will start to come out of my mouth. But if I take garbage from material, garbage in, garbage out, you see. If I listen to enough politics, I'm going to be walking around talking politics. And in America today, that means I'm going to hate, I got to hate somebody. If I'm going to get involved in that, they're going to point me towards hating somebody. You see? <laughs> We're going to choose an issue. There's so many issues, political issues. And so I like the people that are on one side of the issue and I hate the people that are opposing. Why do I hate? Because I want to control them. I want them to think like me. We all know that if they don't think like me, they're idiots, right? Don't I have that right? Well, but I'm not a judgmental person by any measure. <laughs> it makes me crazy. <laughs> trying to understand uh, the materially uh, contaminated mind makes me dizzy. There is no, you can't. It's like a, anyway. I want to get off on that. So, Prophet says the mind should be devoid of duplicity. Aha. One should think of the welfare of all. This, these are Prabhupada's words. All right. What does duplicity mean? Anybody want to offer? What's Prabhupada talking about here? Duplicity. Two things. Yeah. That's a, that's a bullseye. Two faced. <coughs> these are opposing me. You're in favor. You say you're in favor over here, but then when you go over there, you say you're in favor over there. Exactly. Bingo. A lot of that in the world. We can call that, uh, I, I've often called it a flag waver, but it's, it's, it's not, it's a, a, actually the proper term is a waving flag. See, you do it. I, I even found myself doing it. Even as I was looking for a job, I'd go over here and I'd tell them that, you know, I'm, I'm you know, seeking out other work over here, but if you give me this, then, you know, then I'm going to let go of this, and then I go over here and I tell them that, and wow, look at me, you know? Yeah. Doing this because I need a job, you know, and it's like, and, it, and there's a lot of things that are not said over here and over here. But you were in a situation of need. What if it's just your interpersonal relationships with people and your job doesn't depend on it? In other words, I get with you, and you're talking like that, and then I get with you, you're talking like that, and I agree with both of you. One minute I'm agreeing with you, the next minute I'm agreeing with you, and I make you believe, yeah, yeah, you're right. I agree with you, yeah. And then I go, and then I, I have, so in other words, when the wind changes, like the flag does, I'm blowing a different way. To get around people like that, that is annoying. It's annoying. You know? 
But I thought you told me that you agree. Well, uh, uh, but then I talked to, okay, all right. So you're not resolute in purpose. And I'm being judgmental, but yes, you're not. You're not, not resolute. Resolute in purpose means I can become, I can through, um, what's that term they use in court? Through preponderance of the evidence, I can make a decision and become fixed in my uh, determination, my resolute determination. And if I don't do that, I'll be, I'll remain duplicitous. You see what I mean? Oh, duplicity, contradictory doubleness of thought, speech, or action, especially uh, the belying of one's true intentions by deceptive words or action. Two, the quality or state of being double or twofold, two-faced. Three, law. In law, the, the technically incorrect use of two or more distinct items, such as claims, charges, or defenses, in a single legal action. Duplicious. Nobody likes to. Duplicious. It's not if you're duplicious, you will not be happy, nor will the people whose lives you touch. It can't it can't help you. So therefore, Prabhupada is saying here, uh, the mind should be devoid of duplicity. That means gone. There shouldn't be any of it. That means be above board, honest. Straightforward. First, last, always. With everyone. Now, you can't always say the absolute truth to everybody because you, you may make them feel uncomfortable, you know. So sometimes you have to kind of. Do people like it? Uh, <laughs> I don't know if they're doing If I tell them the job that I'm going over this, you know, over there, yeah. you have to not say things. Sometimes you have to omit, omit until the person's ready for it. One of the qualities of a devotee is that they don't say words that cause, uh, what's the word that Krishna says? Huh? A disturbance. One of the 16th chapter, first four verses that's covered. Uh, well, it doesn't cause distress or disturbance on other people by what they say. Well, it was true, and I was supposed, to, I should have said it. Oh, so you don't give a damn. Well, wait a minute. So you haven't made a lot of advancement, are you? What is this for the good of others, working for the good of others? You see? Well, I'm just having a moment. All right. You're not a pure devotee yet. You can have a moment once in a while. Okay? We're not going to hate you or kick you out. You're, you're going to have a moment. Just don't have a year. Okay? Have a moment. Have a day. You know, like a bad hair day. But try not to have a bad hair week or, you know month. 
okay, can you kind of keep it down to a moment? So you have this little regression into uh, material craziness. You lost your grip, okay? We still love you. Just try to limit it, okay? <laughs> Fewer numbers and shorter durations if you can. And if you need help, we'll help you. You see, does that make any sense? So, Prabhupada goes on. Silence means that one is always thinking of self-realization. Self-realization. I'm always thinking uh, of who I, the self, am in relationship to the Supreme Lord. I am his eternal loving associate. And I, my relationship is one of servitude. The person in Krishna consciousness observe, observes perfect silence in this sense. It also means that I don't say uh, crazy things. I don't talk about illusory things. I, I stay fixed, again, I stay fixed on my target. I don't get distracted, so I'll run off the road, run off the, the devotional path. Control of the mind means detaching the mind from sense enjoyment. Well, Prabhupada's not going to let that go, is he? He is not going to let that go. See how many times he's bringing this? This is right out of the Veda Bay. This is right out of the purport. Uh, this isn't me throwing this in here. So he's throwing it, you know. That doesn't mean that you become, uh, gravity doesn't mean you turn into a stone and you don't, uh, you never have any gratification of your senses. No. We find that people who follow this process, they're happy, even though they're great. They're fun to be with. They're funny, you see. And they seem very gratified. They seem, they seem so gratified that they actually seem satisfied. And grateful for being that way. This is the reward of bhakti yoga. You see, we're only attached to doing it the wrong way because we're caught up in uh, material consciousness. Like I say, we may have a material moment once in a while. You just bounce right back up, you get right back up. It's like Muhammad Ali one time said. Does everybody here know who Muhammad Ali? Yeah. Yeah, he said, you know, sometimes I gets knocked down. <laughs> and I gets right back up. <laughs> and as he went on to say it was in a neighbor, uh, it was in an interview with uh, Howard Cosell. You know, remember Howard Cosell? You know, they used to taunt each other. This is Howard Cosell speaking of sports. <laughs> Today we have Muhammad Ali. So he asked him, what do you do? Sometimes I guess not down, but I guess right back up. And I feel like you ain't going to do that again. <laughs> you know? Muhammad Ali was actually very intelligent, very smart. Every time I get knocked down, I figure out a way to not get knocked down again. 
പിന്നെ Prophet says one sh- one should be straightforward in his dealings and thereby purify his existence being straightforward in your uh dealings purifies your existence this is the object of the bhakti yogi isn't it to purify your existence so you have to be straightforward in your dealings all the time and as i say you may have a moment a material moment once in a while but try to avoid it be straightforward that's a lot to ask uh the materialist it really is a lot to ask but for the devotee it's not a lot to ask you see the devotee of krishna that should be your nature it should be your reflex that should come in your chanting of hari krishna and your performance of devotional service And then Prabhupada closes by saying all these qualities together constitute austerity in mental activities. It's called these things are an austerity, satisfaction, simplicity, gravity, self-control and purification of one's existence. These are austerities because we are attached to not following uh, the guidelines of Bhagavad Gita. we're not attached to it you see so therefore it's an austerity it's kind of hard for me to be simplistic straightforward grateful it's hard i mean this is really um i mean it's more prominent right now right now uh things are better in the world right now than they have been in who knows how many years you see i mean uh my parents lived through world war 2 and the great depression you see i mean uh i can remember my mother saying you know the great depression was things were really really cheap like you get a, a loaf of bread for like 3 cents So the bad news is is it was hard to find 3 cents to get a hold of a nickel. It was tough. It was hard times. Then we went right from the depression into World War II. You know, we had Adolf Hitler doing his thing over there watching Europe being conquered and uh millions of Jews being annihilated and murdered <laughs> destruction and then hundreds of thousands of our people going over there and getting killed you see so things were really not that great and this was you know in the 1940s i guess the depression was from 1929 <clears throat> pretty much was over in World War 2 the war kind of kind of kicked things off and got us out of it and then after that there was this big boom the economy boomed and babies boomed <laughs> people were happy the economy was good they started having more and more babies and so therefore we have the baby boomers you see 
So here we go now, we have more uh, available stuff. You know, there wasn't a lot of stuff. Trust me on this, this may be hard for some of you younger people to picture, but you couldn't just go to a place like Walmart, because there weren't any, and pick out your choice of 50 different sofas. There weren't, you know, there weren't that, there wasn't that much stuff available for you to choose from compared to today. But people of the time felt like it was enough. Somehow or other, nobody thought, well, we need really better stuff. People were happy with little tiny televisions. You know, they had this first TV that we had and when my family was round. It was a round screen this big, <laughs> black and white. So, but people were, they were crazy about it. They thought, oh, this is wonderful. Everybody loved it. So it's the, uh, the industrial folks. They keep thinking, oh, you like that? What if we made it a little bit bigger and kind of squared it off a little bit? And we were like, yeah, can you do that? Yeah, I'll take that. So what if we make it even bigger? Ooh, wow. How about if you can see the picture in living color. <gasps> Can you do that? We weren't demanding that. They were saying, Would, how about if we, so this is the nature of uh, the economy in America, the rest of Western world and the whole world now, is we'll keep throwing stuff out there. How about this? You like that iPhone 10? Huh? How about 11? Well, do you have an 11? Sure do. I'll take it. You see, we keep giving you more and more stuff to make you let go of your dollars. And that makes the economy go around, you see. So, uh, but at this particular time, with all this stuff for people to choose from, the greatest technology, I mean, now we have, we have phones that have cameras that are like 16 what do you call them? Megapixels? What is it? Somebody know? You, yeah, you know. And I remember when Sony came out with the first digital camera, it uh, to get a four megapixel uh, Sony uh, pick, uh, camera was like the top of the line, and they cost like thousand dollars. This was way back in the last century, you see. So now we have these, we have cameras that have, uh, um, we have phones that have cameras that are just top notch. And people back then were saying that you don't really need, unless you're gonna have a big print that size, you don't need 16 megapixels, you know, you really don't. So, but now it's practically every phone has that. So we have all of this stuff and we're not grateful for any of it. There's more complaining, so much complaining. And on both sides of the aisle, you're gonna hear a politician telling you that we need what? Change. 
huh? But I, I got this really cool camera here and, you know, I've got this and I've got that. And, but you need change. I need to convince you that your life sucks because I can give you something better. You know, I was looking at some of the things. <laughs> it's kind of, some of the promises they're making now, we're going to, we'll pay off your, you elect me and I'll pay off your student loan. You elect me, not only will I pay off your student loan, but I'll forgive any loans going forward. Uh, you elect me and I'll give you $1,000. One of them actually said I'll pay you $1,000 a month. What is that, that guy Yang? I don't know who this guy is. I have to look at this once in a while because it's just, it's crazy. I don't read them. I'll pay, elect me, and I'll do what she said and what he said, and I'll give you $1,000 a month. This is fact. I'll pay you $1,000. Can you believe that? I'll give you free health care. I'll give you free this. I'll give you freebies. All I want is for you to put me in the office. So I don't want you to be satisfied. If you're happy and satisfied and, and grateful, then I don't have any way to shake your boat loose. Well, yeah, I'm dead in the water here. If you're, look, if you're looking at me saying, hey, you know, things are actually pretty good. Oh. Darn it, you know, how about you? You know, aren't you whizzed off about something? Or can't we get you there? I'm not saying that there aren't problems that need to be addressed. That's for sure. There are problems that need to be addressed. But for crying out loud, don't let it wreck your, uh, your gratitude. Aren't you happy? I'm assuming that... Uh, most of us, if not all of us, walked through that door tonight, or that door. But you were able to get here from your car without assistance, right? You ought to be really grateful. I can get up and walk. It's like my friend, uh, your beloved God brother, Vaisheshikapu, says that if you can do this, You should be grateful. Can you imagine if you couldn't do that? You know? Can you brush your own teeth? Well, I'm pretty grateful that I can still do that. Maybe the time will come that I'm not going to be able to do that for myself. So being grateful. Yeah. I just want to notice something that I'm grateful for because I work with a couple people who are completely deaf and have never learned how to use their voice, so they're not verbal in any way. So they don't speak or hear, but I just think about chanting, mm. you know, and how it was ever, ever experienced. Wow. Uh, what, what would I do, you know? Well, they, that vibration will never... Although, if there's if the if the holy name is vibrated around them, mm -hmm. they get the benefit. Mm -hmm. That vibration, they get the benefit. Yeah. Yeah. Because even the plants, you know, if you're chanting when you're outside, even the plants are every living entity. Is, mm -hmm. So they may not hear it. But there's there's benefit. Yeah. 
Helen Keller. Yeah. yeah. She had that same thing. She couldn't hear or speak or and she did see but her teacher stopped it to feel. Yeah. To feel the vibration. And of course they can see you by Krishna. That's a great observation. You know, so instead of being focused on what we don't have, look at what we have. Uh, and if, if, if you can focus on the advantages that you have by being in contact with this Krishna consciousness movement, you realize you've got it all. You've got your ticket out of here. You can leave this material world and go back to Godhead. You can find your true identity and your the identity of Krishna, the Supreme Godhead, and you can actually get him in your embrace. And you can do that now, you see. I'm not saying that there aren't a couple of things that we need to tidy up in this material world. But if we can get enough people chanting, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, this, all these problems will go away. People will be straightforward in their dealings with one another. They won't be duplicitous. You see? People will be looking out for the... Can you imagine a world where everyone was looking out for the benefit of others? During World War II, that was the common rule. They called it looking out for the other guy. Because we were in war, and America had to pull together, it was looking out for the other guy. You see, not just yourself, take care of yourself and look out for the other guy. That was the, the code. And they talked about that all over the United States. You can see it in some of the old movies uh, that were filmed during the war. You know, looking out for the other guy. You know? So, but we're not at war right now, so we're not. But can you imagine the potency that uh, you'll have, that this world would have if we were all looking out for everyone else? That means letting go of sense gratification. Letting go of the gratification for me. Now, how can I do that? You have to become grateful. You have to develop gratitude. Because if, I'm, if I have gratitude, then I'm, I'm okay. You know? It's like if there is a, a bomb that goes off, and you're knocked to the ground, but you realize I'm okay, and a first responder comes up to you and says, let me check you over. You say, no, I'm okay. Check out that guy over there. He's bleeding. I'm okay. I'm not bleeding, and I'm grateful that I'm okay. So check out him. Let me help. Let me help. Let's look, see if we can help this person over here. You see? Rather than, don't focus on them. Check me out. There could be something wrong with me. <laughs> you know? So, does that make any sense?
So if you can develop gratitude, it will always control your attitude. Can it is it possible for you to be uh, unhappy if you're feeling grateful? Can you? Sad? Can you be sad and grateful at the same time? Greedy and grateful at the same time? Duplicious and grateful at the same time? It's amazing. This is this is a magic if you can become grateful. It, it changes your whole world. So, all right, any questions while they're serving out? Anybody have any questions or comments? Or? Well, there's, of course, we can think of certain things, and, and like you said, like you said, there are problems and things that need to be worked out and stuff, and we can think about those problems and lose our gratefulness because those problems are so big, like all the plastic out in the ocean and stuff. So what? There's a bunch of plastic out in the ocean, but a friend recently sent me what's happening to the wild animals as a result of the plastic being out there. That starts to get really overwhelming. There was somebody, I don't know who it was, but there's a movement to ban uh, plastic straws because yeah. they hurt fish. That's exceeded. Huh? That's exceeded. All right. So if you're looking out for the benefit of fish, why don't you stop eating them? I mean, is this is this me? I mean, this is so obvious that I'm thinking perhaps I'm the dumb one here. You know, sometimes you just have to look at yourself and say, you know, you're not the brightest star in the sky. Because this... This is so simple that I've got to be the stupid one. Because this is so stupid. I'm so concerned about the welfare of the fish that we need to give up plastic drinking straws. Instead of saying, yes, we do need to do that. And stop eating them. Yeah, it's like speciesism. Huh? It's like speciesism. It's speciesism. Yeah. Yes, but we're humanely killing them. Okay, well, there's the, the video I got was albatross birds on a remote island out in the Atlantic. <clears throat> I don't know if people are eating albatross birds, but they're finding those albatross mothers are going and they're finding plastic and they're feeding their babies plastic and they're finding. Gun, they're finding gun shells and bits of baby children's toy plastics. All kinds of plastics are going into these baby albatrosses, and they're dying before. Well, we're, I just we're, get that, and I just want to get on a boat and start collecting all that plastic. Well, we're we're misusing and abusing the planet because we're not looking out for the welfare of others including the planet. So it's cheaper to dump the stuff in the ocean than it is to dispose of it. Uh, because I give enough money to my congressman, he's not going to try to get me to dispose of my waste properly. He's going to let me dump it in the ocean. 
Because well, I give a lot of cha-ching. Yeah. And there have been some that have been able to, uh, there's been some, uh, some technology by a Japanese that could take that plastic and actually use it for electricity. That, is, that, that technology is actually there. And Just when like, they're doing that over at Eco Village, they're trying to hmm. burn all the plastic and make fuels from it. Yeah. Yeah. It's there, but it's like you got to fight the system, you know. There's a lot of money in, you know, making these things like we've always made them, and then, of course, then you've got to get rid of them. And it's but common sense will tell you these problems can, with proper uh, uh, proper management of our authorities, they can be taken away. I mean, come on, you could make that decision, couldn't you? If you were a congressman, couldn't, and you see that there's someone in your district that's dumping a lot of garbage into the lakes and streams, couldn't you get a law passed to say? Stop that. That could be done. But that means he may get angry at you and not give you a donation, campaign donation. So, you see what I mean? The, the fix is there. But it's not going to come from the politicians. No matter what they promise you, they're going to do. I don't care how convincing they are on the podium, they're not here to help you. Because they could do it. It's not built that way. Because they have they have to fix things and still get their contribution money coming in. First thing that you have to do when you're elected to Congress or the Senate is to, is to go out and start raising money again. After you've raised money for your election, you got to start working on your re-election. Not later on, but today, day one. That's focused. You need money. So you got you need donors. The system is really broken. Yeah. Will we just be expecting more of what you're talking about in the age of telling Yeah. I mean, it's hard not to feel the age of quarrel and hypocrisy. They're hypocrites. I want to. Well, I'm for the environment. Oh, but what are you? What are you? What have you actually done for the environment? Yeah. You know, come on. I mean, I with all these bad people that are doing all these bad things and all these manufacturing plants in America. You mean to tell me that the people that we've elected can't go and tell them stop it? pass laws to make them stop it? This can be done. We've done it with emissions on cars. You know how far we've come with emissions on cars? I mean, this is phenomenal. I don't know if you know anything about mechanics, but today's internal combustion engine is so efficient compared to the way they used to be. The emissions and what happened? Legislation was passed that said you, you, all of you, if you're going to make cars, if you're going to sell cars in America, the emissions have to be lowered to this level. And of course, the manufacturers, the automobile manufacturers said, oh no, we can never do that. It's going to cost us a lot of money. But we said, you got to do it. Oh, they did it. Not only did they do it, they exceeded 
they exceeded because then they started to say, well, the standard for emissions is this, but we are, this model is so much better than that. And what happens when they did, uh, made the engines more efficient and less polluting, uh, they use less fuel. You know, the new van that I have gets better gas mileage than that van that I gave the temple. It's like, I don't know, what is that, 2004? 2006. 2006, okay, so, and I bought a, two, uh, a, two, a 2016. So 10 years in engineering made the same vehicle, probably produced on the same assembly line, and mine gets a lot better gas mileage, and it's got 120 more horsepower. You see? But in the beginning, the government had to force them to do that. So now they're like, hey, look what we can do. You know? I mean, really, it's, it's, it's truly amazing what they can do, but you've got to push them to do it. Even if they say, well, I'm not going to give you a, con a campaign contribution. So you got to do it. So until we fix the system as it is, uh, we're fools if we believe these people. I don't believe. I don't believe they care about the environment. I don't believe they care about the fish. I don't believe it. I've been hearing this stuff for all my life. <laughs> I'm not convinced. I'm just not convinced. Plus, you know, if you vote for somebody, then uh, you have to share in the karma that that person generates from running the country in their way. I don't think any of us want that. I don't want part of that guy's karma. You know? Because he's going to make decisions. If I helped... I get part of, I have to share some of the reaction from the reaction from his actions. Count me out. You know. Okay, so you want to dial us out? Sign us off? Huh? All right, good night, everybody. Hare Krishna.